listening to Meet the Thriller Author. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is the podcast where I interview authors of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. And this is episode number 39. It's the first episode of 2017. So I hope you had a great holiday season and a happy new year and all that good stuff. And uh, this episode is going to feature an interview with Carmen Amato. Before I get to the interview, though, I just wanted to make a little quick announcement here. Um, been posting new uh, episodes of the podcast, uh, new interviews every week on Tuesdays for the past few months. Uh, but in 2017, I really need to focus on my writing and my publishing. So I'm going to scale that back a bit. Uh, right now, the plan is to go bi-weekly. Uh, so just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Um, hope you understand. I love doing this podcast and meeting new uh, new authors in the genre that I love to read and the genre that I write in. But I need to focus um, on my books as well. So I'm going to be doing that in 2017. But we'll continue uh, posting new interviews. And right now we'll go with bi-weekly and we'll play it by ear, see how that goes uh, throughout the year. So uh, thank you for understanding and thank you for listening to this podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, without any further ado, let's get on with the interview with uh, Carmen Amato. Uh, she's the author of uh, Romantic Thrillers and the Detective Emilia Cruz mystery series, which is set in uh, Acapulco, Mexico. Uh, so it's a fascinating uh, series. I'm reading uh, one of her books right now. Uh, so I'm excited to uh, bring this interview to you. Carmen, how are you doing? Hey, Ellen, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast. I appreciate it. How did you find me? Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about that. I think, did you have a book bub recently? Yes, I did. There yes, you, I did. That's what it was. I, I, I get those emails for the thrillers and, and, and crime books and stuff. And uh, your, your cover really jumped out at me. And then um, I, I read the, their little blurb. And the, the fact that I was set in Mexico really got my interest. Uh, I'm, I was born and raised in Costa Rica. So I'm like, oh, cool, like a, a Latin America type thriller so i was all over that so the, I, when i started reading i'm like oh i'm gonna ask her if she wants to be on the show and happily you said yes hey that's great yeah those uh, new covers really are eye-catching i have to give a big shout out to matt chase he's a washington dc based uh, illustrator and graphic art artist he's done some Big things with big papers. I think he was in the Wall Street Journal not so long ago with a beautiful illustration for them. And uh, I just found him on a site. And I'm sorry to say, I don't even remember, but it was a site featuring fonts from different graphic artists. And he had a font there and I was really taken with it, sent him an email. And uh, he's now done five covers. He's done all of the Amelia Cruz uh, detective series covers and wow i really saw sales jump uh when those covers went up well that's amazing yes yeah, you always hear the importance of covers because really we only have you know a few seconds like like for with me with you you know on bookbub they have the you know it's like a little parade of covers and that's the first thing uh, attention is to the covers and uh yeah your covers are phenomenal i really like the we'll, we'll get to the where your books are set and everything but they really kind of have like a, a like the Mexican cultural colors. Is that something? I mean, did you discuss that when you were getting into the covers? You nailed okay, it. Cool. Oh, Alan, you got it. This is great. Yes, when I first said uh, to Matt, I want something with the rich, saturated colors of Mexico. And I actually sent him some pictures of the town of San Miguel de Allende. 
because there's a lot of buildings there with that rich lime, lemon, tangerine, you know, hot pink, shrimp pink tones that I associate with Mexico. And he really nailed it. And uh, can you tell us a little bit now about your background, how long you've been writing and how did you get started? I've, I've always loved writing uh, stories, but it was when my husband's job took us to Mexico that I really um, decided to write some fiction. I had done two books for my son about aviation. He was just crazy for aviation when he was in elementary school. He's now a senior in college, uh, so that was quite a while ago. And I wrote two kids thrillers for the YA audience, actually, um, all about aviation. But I had an agent, and she shopped him around and said, you know, these are great, but nobody says there's money in aviation fiction. They were sort of a Hardy Boys meets Dale Brown type of book. Um, So, you know, I felt a little bad about that, put them in a drawer. But the experience taught me that I could actually do a novel. Um, So we were in Mexico at the time. I was really looking at a lot of social inequality on a day-to-day basis and decided I would, first I decided I would write a book about uh, Mexican social structures. But, you know, that was just going to be another nonfiction book from an author who really didn't have anything except her own observations uh, to hang her hat on with that. So I decided, hey, let's make this a thriller. Uh, I've, I've proven to myself I can write a novel, I can do dialogue. Um, and I wrote The Hidden Light of Mexico City. I started it when we were in Mexico. I finished it Oh, about eight years later. (laughs) I really didn't know um, the the, the structure uh, of writing a thriller at the time. And I first wrote it all from the the female character's point of view and then had a lot of sequences where people are explaining things to her. And anyways, it it took me uh, a little while and a really great critique group to help me formulate that into um, what I think is probably the best thing I've ever written, uh, The Hidden Light of Mexico City. I published that four and a half years ago and then got a little faster, got a little smarter, um, and really have been very lucky with critique groups and editors and, you know, building that village that a... um, a successful indie author needs um, to to really have things take off, and I've I've been very lucky in bringing um, finding the people who can help me um, not only polish my my craft but help me negotiate contracts. And is that the, is the is their first book? Is it a standalone? The Hidden Lights of Mexico City. That's yes, that's a standalone. It's a romantic thriller. It's a Cinderella story with a very Mexican feel to it. Um, I was actually told when I first went to publish it and I started looking for an agent that a novel with all Mexican characters was never going to sell. I could never get a New York agent. Um, I should just make some of the characters American. Uh, And I said to myself, no, that's not the story I want to tell. I want to tell a story of 
social inequality, but I also want to make it exciting and I want to make it a romance. So it's a Cinderella story. It's a standalone. And my second romantic thriller, Awakening Macbeth, uh, just came out uh, this month. So I've now got the, the two romantic thrillers. But I have to say, in terms of sales, it's the Detective Amelia Cruz series that um, far outstrips either of the, the romantic books. And so when you started writing the, the Amelia Cruz detective series, is that, um, I mean, it's the police procedural, but it's all set in, in Mexico, in Acapulco. What made you decide to set it in uh, Acapulco? Is that where you were living when you were in Mexico? No, but it was my favorite vacation oh, yeah. spot. <laughs> Um, I, I chose Acapulco because I really just love the city. It's it's just a gorgeous place, just a beautiful city. But it, it does have two faces. There's the the touristed ring around the bay itself. I mean, the bay is an enormous horseshoe, and all around the lip of that bay, you see the white skyscrapers and the beautiful hotels and the beaches and the best restaurants and sort of the party downtown section. But then you get further north into the very hilly areas and the poor section of town. And that's not really an area where the the tourists go. And that's where the crime rate is very high and where you see a lot of um, the cartel rivalry that has brought, unfortunately, a lot of violence to the city. So not only was the city, a, a, you know, had name recognition for an American reader, but you also had this dichotomy that I could use to to show the, the beautiful touristed area in contrast to the areas of the city that are experiencing the great violence. So great setting for so many reasons. And then you had to do like a lot of research on um, on, on the Mexican police structure and and all that before you started writing these. Uh, yes, I did. Uh, I am a total news junkie, so there is a lot out there about um, what's going on in Mexico when it comes to uh, police and crime and cartel violence in both English and Spanish. I can manage uh, in Spanish, but there's so much in English um, that that it's pretty easy to find what I need. And it's, uh, I find it really fascinating. I was uh, reading your, your, uh, the book that I've, your book and um, the whole fact that uh, a female, you know, not only you're using all the stuff in Mexico, but then putting a female in in, in that machismo culture, it's been uh, uh, very fascinating to read that. Um, is that something also that you were thinking about when you were going to write this, that you wanted to tackle that as well, the whole the way females are viewed? Ab- absolutely. And I, I started with that theme a little bit in The Hidden Light of Mexico City, that first uh, romantic thriller standalone novel. Um, the whole societal tension as Mexico, um, you know, kind of becomes a more mature place um, and deals with social change. So Amelia, you know, I, I liked writing a female character. I'm, I'm most comfortable with a, a female protagonist. Um, and I wanted to put her in a pressure cooker. 
um, when I first came up with the concept, my husband said, oh, make her a private investigator. And I said, no, I wanted her to be a, a cop because then she can't leave the environment. You know, she's, she's got to stay on the case. She's She's got her pension to think about. She can't just walk away where she could if she was a PI and didn't like the case. So I wanted to put this female in this pressure cooker environment. I wanted her to be looking for female role models to a certain extent. That's the the mayor of Acapulco, that character. Um, and I wanted her to be able to hold her own. What was she going to have to do to hold her own, not only uh, in this sea of machismo that is the detective squad room that uh, I've created, but how is she going to be a woman who has a relationship and has a family and, and juggles it all at the same time? So I hope readers, you know, take her to heart, find her an authentic person um, and, and somebody who can appeal not just to an audience who might be familiar with the Latin culture or have visited Mexico, but just anybody who, who is a, a mystery fan. Yeah, I think it's really fun to read uh, uh, police procedurals and, and when they're set in uh, different countries. Uh, I like Jake Needham. I like him. He writes in about a Singapore detective. So I think it's kind of cool because you get the different cultural aspects of a, of the book and everything, but you still get the police procedural and the mystery and the thrills of that. So it's, it's a pretty cool uh, merger of a whole bunch of uh, of cool things. So yeah, hope, hopefully people will check that out because <laughs> it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Thanks. Yeah, I'm a big fan of mysteries set in other places. I just finished Peter May's. Chinese Whispers, which is his sixth and I think the last uh, thriller that he's written with um, the protagonist is a Beijing police officer. Mm. So really good. I'll have to go check that one out. <laughs> and um, so do you get your ideas? Like like you were talking, there's a lot of, um, you know, Mexico's in the news a lot because of uh, the violence. Is that, uh, are your do you get ideas from that when you start writing your, your Amelia Cruz books? I do. I get a, a lot of ideas from the news. I, I keep clippings, you know, and it's, I'm, I'm not really a paperless environment kind of person. I do uh, keep newspaper clippings and printouts in a box. Um, I've got enough content for about 10 more Amelia Cruz novels at this point. It's just uh, deciding which pieces of information I can uh, creatively fit into the the world of Amelia Cruz um, and what I just how how dark <laughs> uh, a, a storyline uh, I want to go with and so go yeah, I was gonna say right now you have five books in the in the Amelia Cruz series I have four novels Cliff Diver, Hat Dance, Diablo Knights, and King Peso, and uh, one collection of short stories which functions as a prequel, and that's Made in Acapulco. Um, and I'm uh, working right now on the fifth novel, which is called Pacific Reaper. And in Pacific Reaper, I'm introducing the cult of Santa Muerta, 
which is uh, the saint of death, and it's a, a folk saint that is being embraced by the cartels uh, in Mexico right now. So uh, I'm not going to give away anything, but you're going to get a hefty dose of uh, Mexican folklore. Yeah, I read about that cult before. It's a very uh, creepy. So. It, it is very creepy. Um, it, it's uh, a little scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to wait for your book. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, before you started writing these thrillers, uh, you said you, you, you started uh, with a, trying to write a YA thriller. Uh, did, were you a fan of thrillers as a reader? Uh, yeah, I always have been. Some of my favorite authors are um, Ian Rankin, who writes the uh, John Rebus mysteries, uh, Martin Cruz Smith, who um writes the Arkady Renko series set in Russia, as well as uh, a number of romantic thrillers. Um, so th- that is my favorite genre to read. And do you find like the, the television and pop culture, does that stuff uh, influence your writing? Does that make it into your books? Uh, not, not so much. I'm not a big uh, television watcher. Uh, I have to admit, uh, I'm much more interested in news programs than uh, than uh, NCIS and things <laughs> like that. Um, I guess I spend a lot of time looking at a screen generating content. I don't necessarily uh, want to look at a screen for entertainment, although I must admit, uh, my son and I uh, did binge watch The Crown on Netflix over the Christmas holiday. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that one. I haven't seen it yet, though. <laughs> it, it, was, it was so well done. So well done. And I never would have thought to have seen a Doctor Who uh, in Matt Smith playing Prince Philip, but he was outstanding. And that's on my watch list. <laughs> and now, are there any similarities between you and your, and your main characters, like with uh, Emilia Cruz? Uh, a lot of people do ask me that um, a little bit, although I must admit, Amelia is, well, let's just say her filter is off. She says what she wants to say. It is not always the smartest thing that she could have said. It does get her in trouble. Um, and while I I like to keep fit with uh, swimming and yoga. She runs at a higher RPM than I do. Uh, her workouts are all about kickboxing. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So she's she's a little gutsier, or at least outwardly gutsier than I am. <laughs> and uh, what are you, what are some of the challenges that you find when you're uh, when you're starting to uh, writing uh, one of your novels? This is like the the research or logistical. Um, I think one of one thing that I'm always very focused on is trying to make the books very authentic, make the stories authentic, put you on the street with her. What does it smell like? Um, what what is she eating? What are the people around her doing? Um, and also just being authentic to the place. I have a huge and by now rather tattered map of Acapulco. It's usually on the wall in front of me. I want to make sure that she's going the right way down a one-way street. Um, 
so authenticity, making sure that the, these stories really ring true uh, and the details are right. So that's that's challenge number one. And challenge number two is managing my time as as a full-time author. I can waste a lot of time. <laughs> I'm sure there's no other author that has this problem. Nope, you're the only one. But, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, I'm the only one. Um, but I, I can spend a lot of time on Pinterest, and I can spend a lot of time fooling around with Photoshop um, just for my own, uh, you know, burnishing my own skills. Yeah, that's those rabbit holes, aren't there? Even when you're doing legit research for a book or something, that's, you know, you're starting out researching something, and the next thing you know, you're watching, you're, you're on YouTube or something, and it's like, wait, I'm not researching anymore. I'm wasting time. Oh, oh, I tell you, there are so many YouTube videos of people who have stuck a GoPro on their uh, dashboard, and they're driving through Acapulco. And it's great, but I don't know what street they're going down or, uh, you know, what's going on. And, and, yep, I'm just watching it down the street. Oh, how about that? Yeah, maybe it's that street. And I don't remember that. Wasn't there a liquor store there? Um, so, yeah, excellent resource. YouTube is an excellent resource, but definitely a rabbit hole. Yeah. And what's your writing process like? Are you um, do you plot extensively, or uh, are you a pantser? I am a plotter. I am an outliner, and I am a uh, repeat outliner. I start every book by outlining on three uh, sticky notes, and I color code it because there's inevitably more than one thread plot thread going through one of my books so I will usually have four different colors going I will put it all on a wall and I do it in a time order so that week one in the book not not my week one of writing but the the timeline of the book uh, gets one row and that might be ten sticky notes and three or four colors and I will do that because each book is usually um, it usually covers a six to eight week span of Amelia's life. So I will put all that together. Uh, that'll take me a couple hours to, to create the outline. I'll transfer it to a big poster paper and start working from it. About halfway through, I will usually redo it. And then maybe uh, at about the three-quarter mark, I will redo the last section. But I generally stick to it pretty well. Um, I, I'm not a, you know, just sit down and let it flow, man. It just won't do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got to have an outline. And do you, do you set yourself goals when you're writing? Like, uh, I'm going to write X amount of words per day? Or? I wish I did. Um Donna Andrews, the uh, author of the Meg Lancelot mysteries, the, the humorous mysteries, she's um, the the chief wrangler in uh, my critique group, and I, I think she's very good at. Uh, she'll say, "Oh, I met my quota today. Um, I need to do better." 
I will usually say, okay, this week I have to write chapters seven and eight and just bound it that way, which means if I spend a day watching YouTube videos the next <laughs> day, boy, I'm, I'm really stuck in this chair writing. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's, I've heard of other authors doing it that way, too, though. They don't go by word comp, but by chapters. I think that's interesting, too. It's like I have to write three chapters today. It, it helps um, if, if I can do that and kind of get into the rhythm and stick with that chapter. That, that works better for me. But I do find like maybe every fourth day I don't write anything and I'm just thinking about the details or a piece of dialogue that I want to work on. And I, I just have sort of a... a uh, a break day to think about things. And do you use uh, do you use Word or do you use like a, a one of those writing like Scrivener's type software? I use Word. I use Word. I haven't tried to get fancy with anything else. It works for me, um, but I also do make a lot of paper notes. And now and then I write something longhand. And do you have like a dedicated spot where you always write, or do you like mix it up with going to coffee shops and stuff like that? I have a dedicated spot. Um, I've kind of taken over the front room of our house, and I have my whole desk here. I've got uh, the printer, bookcases, boxes where I keep notes, um, and kind of an inelegant way of displaying all my stuff. I use blue painter's tape, and I have all these notes taped uh, on the wall in front of my desk. So it doesn't look really great when you walk in the front door and you see all this stuff taped all over the wall, but my husband doesn't seem to care. And, you know, people know by now I'm just the crazy lady who writes <laughs> and you know, sticks stuff on our wall. So what are they going to do? That, that keeps me kind of focused and grounded and um, helps me create a sense of urgency. So I do uh, just sit and, and get stuff done. But um, about once a week, I do meet a writing buddy at a coffee shop, and we talk uh, through. She helps me with some of my plot points. I help her, um, and then we'll, we'll you know, just write uh, for about two hours. And that's really helpful. Yeah, you know, I used to go to these uh, meetups here in, uh, in where I live, and, uh, yeah, they, they call them Shut Up and Writes, and, like, a whole bunch of writers we meet, and then just, yeah, we just say, hey, what's going on? We talk, chat a little bit, and then we just start writing, and you just got to feed off from that energy. I found that uh, very, very nice. I've gone to a few of those now, and I've been enjoying those. <laughs> I think that's a good way to put it, that you, you feed off the energy of somebody else who's doing something creative. And if you're around creative people, you tend to want to match that energy and, and be creative, too. Uh, it's whatever it is. It's really helpful. Yeah. And do you still find time to read? I do. Although I find it distracting to read fiction when I'm in a particularly creative time. Uh, it takes me about 40 days, and that's really dedicated, 40 days, to, to create one bad first draft. And during that time... It's very distracting to read fiction. I'm okay if I'm reading nonfiction, if I'm reading research for the book, but 
I, I have to take a break from fiction during that initial, I guess, uh, first draft phase. And how long does it take from like when you first start writing that the book and the book is now available on for sale? How long does it? You know, it, that's a really hard thing to say because I've uh, ended up writing books that I've written them, like The Hidden Light of Mexico City. I put it in a drawer. I took it out. I tinkered with it. I put it back in the drawer. Um, the same thing with the uh, romantic thriller Awakening Macbeth, which was just released. I wrote that, put it in a drawer thought about putting it out no not right i wanted to to build up the amelia cruz series before i brought that out it's a little hard to predict um i tend to write a draft and then put it aside and in fact the book i'm working on now pacific reaper which will be the fifth amelia cruz i actually wrote that two years ago intending for it to be the third Amelia Cruz. It didn't have all of the elements of the personal relationship between Amelia and the hotel manager, Kurt Rucker, that I wanted. So I said, I'll put that aside and make it number four. But other things got in the way, different stories that I wanted to tell, and now it's going to be number five. (laughs) So I, I'm not the best uh, person to ask that question. <laughs> it's fascinating how that works, though. You you know you have the story, you know you want to write it, uh, but sometimes it just you, the timing is a little off. That's pretty interesting. Well, sometimes I think an author has to be strategic. If you if you have that ability to to hold things, um, to be strategic and and build your author platform, to to publish things in a certain order in order to build your platform rather than hey they're ready to go out the door i'll just put them out yeah it's uh, it's so great with the whole uh, indie movement now too where it's uh, you know there's no it probably, like you said before with the other series it would have it would have been it probably would have been a hard sell with a regular traditional publisher to publish a book about a female detective in acapulco so so this is cool that uh, there's we could as indie writers, we can get these stories out without too many barriers thrown at us. That's true. I, I think as long as you're putting out a very high-quality product, mm-hmm. the world's your oyster when it comes to being an indie author. Uh, you're, you're competing, yes, but you're competing against quality. You know, the quality of your cover, of your story, of the brand that you're putting out. But you it's great. There, there are so many opportunities now for indie authors. And yeah, that is such a key too. Like you said, put it a good story, a good product out. Basically, just like the the traditionals do. And I have noticed that uh, some of the traditional authors that you're accustomed to seeing a very, very high quality product, maybe they're rushing. Um, but I've noticed a couple of uh, books lately that are coming out of big publishers. They've got continuity errors. They've got word selection errors. So I'm not sure that uh, had I gone a different route, 
that I'd be very happy with the end result. Well, yeah, because the, the control, I mean, yeah, the some of the things would have been out, out of your hands, I would assume. So, yeah, I never, I've never gone the traditional route either. I never even sent a query letter out. But when I talk to people who have, you know, the smaller names, you know, I feel like a you know, Michael Connolly or whatever, that's a whole different <laughs> world. Mm-hmm. But for like a regular, uh, you know, getting started type of a writer, you really don't have any say at all uh, during that process. That's true. And, and I'm somewhat of a type A when it comes to something that's got my name mm-hmm. on it. Um, I, I want it to be the best that it can be. And, um, I can bring together the editors, the cover artists, um, and and the um, representation that I need mm-hmm. without having to uh, rely on a, a publisher who will take their cut yeah. to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they still expect you to do the most of the work anyway, so <laughs> even if you're with a small uh, publishing house um and do you find uh, do you interact a lot with your readers are you like active on like facebook and twitter and all that stuff you, you mentioned pinterest before yes um definitely when i when i first started i knew that uh, you know my website and a blog facebook and twitter were the the first three things i had to do in order to start building that author platform um so i now have about uh, 10,000 uh, followers across Pinterest, Facebook, and, and Twitter, um, with Facebook being the most active platform, I think, although Pinterest and Goodreads uh, send a lot of traffic to my website. I find that, that interesting. Um, Pinterest is so addictive and so fun. Um, whether you're looking for books or cover art ideas or ideas for building your website and blogging, that's just a wealth of information, as is Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, not only is Twitter a great place to interact with people, but it's a great source of re- research. Yeah, so, yeah, those are a lot of fun. Yeah, your website is, uh, I'm just looking at it now, it's, uh, it's a great looking website too, so done a good job there <laughs> thank yeah, you because i did that oh, did. i did that on my own oh, yes wow. when i first started a website um i didn't know anyone to hire mm. uh and it was a, a skill i've been wanting to learn so um i put that together and in 2016 when i upgraded all the book covers i really wanted to take that signature hop kind of cherry red that Matt Chase is using on the covers mm-hmm. and use it on the website. But I also wanted something that was very clean. Um, so I'm I'm now using uh, the Divi theme from Elegant Themes. Oh. And it's, uh, it, it, it's easy to work with um, and I don't have to spend too much time on it. Um, but I'm, I'm lucky in that I do get a lot of traffic to the website. I get a lot of eyes on the blog, um, and I I get a lot of um, email signups. Uh, when you go to the CarmenAmato.net, uh, folks can download a free copy of the Detective Amelia Cruz Starter Library. So you get the prequel, which explains how she actually got to be the first female detective 
um, on the Acapulco police force and a story that I wrote and it's not available anywhere else. It's called the angler and it's the story from the real life murder of my Catholic priest in Mexico city and his, uh, his killer true life was never found. Mm. This was 2007. Um, but I used that episode to write a story, um, and of course, in this, in fiction, Amelia gets her her man. Oh wow! So that actually, so it's based on a true story that you experienced, but uh, it's it's in, you put it in Amelia's world, you fictionalize it. Wow, that's, that's yeah, I fictionalize it. But yes, it uh, was the murder of Father Richard Junius in Mexico City in 2007. Oh wow! And they haven't found the killer, huh? They never found the killer. Uh, and one thing that was really terrific is his niece reached out and uh, sent me an email after she read the story um, and talked about um, what happened in the immediate aftermath and how her family was notified. Um, it really interesting. Um, so yeah, and I'll, I'll have links to your website on the website of listeners are you know Betsy at CarmenAmato and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm looking at that right now. It's giving a lot of uh, goodies there. Um, so a great, great way to get to know your writing and everything. So uh, encourage people to go check that out. Yeah, I do a monthly newsletter for those who subscribe and, and get a free copy of the uh, Detective Amelia Cruz Starter Library. It's called Mystery Ahead. And so every month I, I give... Um, a little pro tip about writing. I uh, usually have an interview with another mystery author. I do book reviews and answer questions from the mailbag. And for about two days after every edition goes out, uh, I answer a lot of email. Hmm. I get a lot of responses that way. Probably more so even than on Facebook. People are emailing me uh, who are subscribers? Oh, that's cool. That's yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, I'll have to check that one out. And then, yeah, I'm glad to hear that uh, they're using D- Divi. I, I actually purchased that a few weeks ago, but I haven't uh, d- divin- I haven't dived into it yet. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't Divi. Yeah, yet. I was like, that's a little. <laughs> it you can do a lot. You really can do a lot with Divi. Um, I think I've only scratched the surface um, with how to put together pages to really showcase your writing and kind of like your author personality and things that you like and pictures. Um, but it's, it's a, a great way to build a website. You'll like it. Cool. Good to hear. Um, all right, Carmen. Well, I'm not going to take too much more of your time here, but before I let you go, um, do you have anything uh, else you want to say to the to our listeners? We have a little combo. Uh, there's readers, but there's also now a lot of aspiring writers that are I've, that are listening to the podcast. So, uh, a little final thoughts before we before we, we you go. I'd say, you know, don't fall in love with your first draft. Fall in love with your characters. Fall in love with your setting your your plot line but your first draft especially folks who have done NaNoWriMo and I've done it a number of times it's a first draft and just keep polishing until it sings Um, and for readers who love mysteries and thrillers 
uh, you are in good company. Uh, that is, as I said, my favorite genre, uh, and I hope they'll take advantage uh, and uh, get a copy of the Starter Library. See if you like Amelia Cruz, Feisty Gal, who's in a, the pressure cooker that is the beautiful city of Acapulco and uh, fighting crime that has a big dose of salsa along with it. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much, Carmen, for uh, being on the show. It was nice talking to you. Alan, thanks so much. You have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Meet the Thriller Author. I'd like to ask you to please review and rate this uh, podcast over on iTunes. It really helps me get the word out. If you take a few seconds of your time to uh, do that, it would be much appreciated. You can also visit my website at thrillingreads.com forward slash podcast for show notes on this episode, as well as information about the uh, podcast in general. And you can also sign up for my mailing list there. You'll be getting uh, special offers from our guests, as well as information, uh, behind the scenes information on the podcast. And uh, please do visit my author website at alanpeterson.com. I appreciate your support. And so until next episode, I will talk to you then.